From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Wednesday, April 20. The Coalition has declared war on one of the country's most militant unions, vowing to double the maximum penalties that can be applied to unlawful industrial action. The Construction, Forestry, Maritime, Mining and Energy Union, the CFMEU, has been at war with the building watchdog, the ABCC, which Labor has vowed to scrap if it wins office, saying it's become discredited and politicised. The AFL is in turmoil about a new crackdown on player behaviour. But this time, it's not careless conduct or melees. It's players holding their arms out in silent protest at an umpire's decision. Teams are being sent 50 metres back for making gestures of confusion as the code tries to protect its dwindling ranks of umpires from abuse. Wally Mason is the Australian sports editor and he joins me later in the episode. The first big debate of the election campaign is tonight. Both leaders are busy memorising the price of milk and the GDP growth rate. Someone's bound to get caught out. But one thing's for certain, we can expect to hear both leaders warning about the other side's credentials. In a moment, we'll break down the rhetoric and size up the leaders. First up, our national correspondent Greg Brown is on the road with Scott Morrison and he joins us from a packed hotel lobby during a brief break in campaigning. Greg, it's week two and the scare campaigns have started. What's happening? They certainly have. So you've got some scare campaigns from Labor. They're reviving Mediscare, which worked for them very well in the 2016 campaign. They've got some historical quotes from the new health minister, Anne Rustin, where she has supported a GP co-payment, which would mean that you'd have to pay $7 cash before going to a doctor. You can't just put it on your Medicare card. And that was very effectively used by Labor and paved the way for a fear campaign in 2016 where Bill Shorten picked up 14 seats telling voters that there was a secret plan to privatise Medicare. Labor is now using these quotes from Rustin when she supported government policy at the time to say that she has a secret plan to cut Medicare. And we've also seen that Labor is drumming up another scare campaign saying that the government is going to put pensioners on the cashless welfare card. This has been denied by the government, but Labor is saying that they're going to do it anyway. Similarly, we're seeing Scott Morrison run fear campaigns against Labor. He is saying that they've done some of their own sums to say the Labor Party will push up electricity prices. He's saying Labor doesn't really support the resources industry, that they'll be tied to the Greens. The Prime Minister's also invoking children in detention and Operation Sovereign Borders. And what was interesting, for the first time on Monday, Morrison raised something other than the economy without being questioned about it. Amid all the unfortunate stumbles from Anthony Albanese, Scott Morrison used a defence announcement on Monday for patrol boats and he talked about how Labor wanted to bring back temporary protection visas and this would weaken borders and you can't trust Labor when it comes to taking on the people smugglers. And just remember, Morrison's got a pretty effective weapon in his arsenal in this fear campaign because he was the immigration minister who stopped the boats. Greg, we're going back to such well-covered ground. Is there a dearth of campaign ideas amongst the parties? We're seeing now a Prime Minister and an opposition leader who are playing it safe when it comes to policy. And we're seeing the opposition leader is trying to trade in on the unpopularity of the Prime Minister and the Prime Minister is trying to trade in on the unknown 
about Mr Albanese. So it's not so much about the ideas for Australia. There's little differences in policy, but that's why I think it's descended pretty early into a, a personal attacks and fear campaigns, and I think we've got another four and a bit weeks of it. The PM had a small stumble of his own earlier in the week about JobSeeker. Whether that be uh, in income support through the JobSeeker, which as you know, we, we increased from 40 bucks uh, a week to 46 bucks a week um, since the last election. Now, we know he meant $46 a day, but do you think he's as confident as he was last week or does he look a bit rattled? The Prime Minister on Tuesday did look tired for the first time in the campaign. His voice was a bit croaky and he looked like the, the pace of it, he looked like he needed a bit of a rest, quite frankly, because he has been going to more locations than Anthony Albanese. He's been very controlled, but he's focused on getting as many images for the TV cameras as he can. That stumble on Monday on JobSeeker, I don't think is consequential. Uh, I think Labor's trying to link any stumble as being as bad as the, the howler that Mr Albanese made about unemployment. Greg Brown's The Australian's national correspondent. The first leaders' debate of this campaign is tonight, and both leaders are in Brisbane and ready to go. Jeff Chambers is The Australian's political correspondent, and he joins me now. Jeff, how are the preparations going? Yeah, well, after a week of, of gaffes and embarrassing corrections by Albanese, uh, he, he's desperate for tonight's debate to be a, a major reset for, for Labor's campaign. Uh, he's effectively set up a, a campaign bunker in Queensland since Friday, and he's been holed up in his Brisbane hotel room preparing for the first of uh, what both sides are suggesting will be three debates before the May 21 election. The Labor leader, he's been prepping for the debate for weeks now, actually in front of cameras, and he's been using senior colleagues to play the role of, of Scott Morrison in mock debates, which is not unheard of in politics, and a bit of uh, trivia Albanese actually acted as Morrison for Bill Shorten ahead of the 2019 debates. Uh, so he's he's familiar with that process. There's been a conga line of advisors and MPs in and out of Albanese's hotel to make sure he absolutely nails this debate. I'd love to hear their competing Scott Morrison impersonations. And what is Scott Morrison doing? Morrison has obviously has some experience uh, with this in 2019, uh, but two very different characters in, in Shorten and Albanese. So he started prepping uh, a few days ago for the debate, but he's also been focused on, on getting around the country, particularly over to Western Australia, where the coalition feel like they're, they're pegging back and they have this new confidence that they might hold some of these battleground seats like Hasluck and Pearce and potentially pick up Cowan from Labor. So Morrison's camp expects that Albanese will be better in the debate than he has been in his press conferences and that the Prime Minister is preparing to push back on character attacks from Albanese and he's preparing to pick apart Labor's health and education policies. And the message from his team is that he's ready for a fight. Jeff, there's also going to be some ordinary members of the public in the audience to ask questions. How closely is that kind of thing vetted beforehand? It's a Sky News Courier Mail debate and they've used a firm called Q&A Market Research to pick 100 undecided voters to be in the room. So the leaders will make opening and closing statements 
bookending a one-hour debate, and then you'll have Sky News chief anchor Kieran Gilbert moderating that debate, but we're expecting most of the questions will come from voters on the floor. And it has been interesting in previous elections where if you do have it in a a capital city, it sometimes can seem to be stacked more one way than the other. So it'll be interesting to see how that balance pans out. Look, traditionally, opposition leaders win these campaign debates. And I think it would be a surprise if Albanese doesn't claim victory. But we'll see what happens tonight. Jeff Chambers is The Australian's chief political correspondent. Coming up, how the AFL is trying to protect its precious whistleblowers. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts. This is Australian cricket superstar David Warner. Apply my shot like this and then go back. Then yes, you have to move, yes. That is, that is the why we're protecting show, the area. Are you showing me in the rule book that's what yes, I have to do? Is. And this is tennis player Nick Kyrgios. It's out of bounds on play. How are you not calling it? How? Abuse of umpires from elite athletes to kids' weekend sport is rife. The AFL went into the 2022 season declaring it would crack down on dissent, and that's seen players penalised for holding their arms out in protest at umpires' decisions. I think that should have been a death mark. 50 metres abuse. 50 metres abuse. Down the bottom here, both Tommy Mitchell and Jack Gunston look at the replay, and then they both put their hands up, and the umpires paid 50 metres because they're talking to the umpire. Wally Mason is the Australian sports editor, and he joins me now. Wally, what prompted the crackdown from the AFL? AFL boss Gillian McLaughlin said at the start of the year that uh, AFL across the nation had a shortage of 6,000 umpires because it was such an unattractive proposition, umpiring kids' footy. There have been a couple of people involved in umpiring who've said that it's even worse than that. You can understand that uh, footy players at all sorts of levels below AFL, watching their heroes abusing umpires, objecting to umpires' decisions, They just follow suit. They think it's okay if it happens in the AFL, they can do it. It's not just uh, AFL, of course. It's happening in all sports. It's happening in rugby league. It's happening in soccer. It's happening in tennis. The abuse of umpires, referees and and officials of all sorts at all levels of Australian sport, all levels of world sport, I think, is so serious that it's just an unattractive proposition. There are better things that you could be doing with your time on a cold Sunday morning than umpiring kids' sport. With no umpires, no sport. The crackdown at the AFL level has been on players essentially making gestures of dissent but not necessarily saying anything. What do you think about that? Is it fair enough? Well, I think it is. I mean, the problem with it, as we've seen in the last day or two, is that it's policed inconsistently. So we had a couple of incidents in AFL games over the weekend where players raised their arms apparently in dissent. I don't think in either case they actually said anything abusive, but 
You know, they indicated their dissent by raising their arms and they were marched 50 metres. But there were other incidents across the weekend and there often are players who raised their arms and got away with it. That's the problem. It's the inconsistent policing of it that's confusing the situation and, and really sort of distracting from a bigger problem in transport. Is it also about off-field abuse that umpires are copying? You know, that players are holding out their arms appearing to mock an umpire's decision and then the umpire gets smashed on social media after the game? I think it creates a whole culture, doesn't it? Allegedly, in Australia, we have this anti-authoritarian ethos and part of the whole thing is going to the footy and getting outraged by the umpire, abusing the umpire. It all starts with what happens on the field in elite sport, whether it's AFL or NRL or the A-League or, uh, you know, Nick Kyrgios at the Australian Open. That ethos spreads into the crowd, into the TV audiences and down to grassroots football. The rise of women's elite versions of Aussie rules and rugby league have created much greater need for umpires every weekend, doubled the number of games. Are women also treating the umpires badly? I don't have the figures that would say one way or another, but my experience of watching women's AFL, women's rugby league, is that there's much less disrespect of the umpires and referees. The umpires and referees in those games are often women too, which mm. is an interesting factor in the dynamic. Wally Mason is the Australian sports editor. We'll be back tomorrow with our experts' breakdown of the big leaders' debate, who nailed their lines, who stuffed them up and what their performance under pressure tells us about this narrowing race to May 21. You can follow the debate live and check out all our expert analysis at theaustralian.com.au. Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthyish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component oh, of that. I, I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthyish and Extra Healthyish wherever you get your podcasts.